Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. I feel like we really have a treat this morning when it comes to the Word of God, because today we get to start our series in First Peter. Uh, and just a little backdrop on that. We... John, how do I succinctly explain uh, 10 years of priority and commitment to God's word? <laughs> you know, in just a couple moments. Um, Mercy Hill, I should have scripted this. Here's the thing, guys. This book is alive to us. The word of God speaks and it brings God's voice and his authority into our lives. And how we receive that is life-changing how we hear the voice of the Lord through his word, it is life-changing for us. And and week by week, we have various ways of encountering God's word to us. We hear God's word during this kind of Sunday time when we gather together in a couple of various, various sorts of ways. And one of those is in the preaching and the preparation where someone among us has been laboring, praying, preparing to unpack God's word to us. And it may feel like week to week, there may be more or less connection to something that was shared a week before. Sometimes the connection may seem topical or thematic. We prefer where possible to anchor things in to how the scripture itself has been organized, how the Holy Spirit inspired authors to to bring a line of thought together and soak ourselves in the context of the scripture itself. And so that means for us, that we we try to go through whole books of the Bible where possible. It's always a challenge and a choice to say, well, how many weeks do you spend in a given book? Uh, our epic series on Luke in the, in the early time of this church uh, was we thought it was going to last till Jesus came back, but he tarried, uh, and it, and so we were done with that after only I think three years uh, or so. And and coming back now to one of the later New Testament letters gives us an opportunity over the next few months to really soak ourselves, not simply in some verses, but in a, in a story, in a narrative of God speaking to his people that was God's word to them then before it was God's word to us today, but yet still speaks so powerfully to us. It's a chance for us to not just grab a verse for the week, but to linger in the apostles' own thoughts, to how the Holy Spirit was speaking to those believers and how that speaks to us today. And so this morning, we're going to do a couple of things. We're going to look at a video that gives us a quick overview to First Peter. It's going to set some of the historical context and tie together some of the themes for us. It's going to go by quickly, this video is. And so when we start the video, you'll want to like dial in all of your teenage and 20-something-year-old attentiveness. I've observed that my kids listen to things faster than I feel like I can. They might be watching something online and they'll speed it up to like one and a half speed. And I'm like, I, I can't track with it that fast. And and there's there's a lot in this video that comes at you kind of quickly. But if you're attentive, you'll follow it. You feel like, I got a big picture. The point of the video is not for you to remember every detail, but to catch the high points. Then I'm going to give you just three things to be attentive to. And then we're going to read the book. We're going to read all of First Peter together this morning. I've got nine volunteers who are going to help us work through that. 
And it's going to be a great experience for us just to let the main message this morning come from Peter himself, to let the word of God speak to us. And so without further ado, here is an overview video on First Peter. The first letter of Peter. His name was Shimon, or Simon, when he first became a follower of Jesus, and he was part of the inner circle of the twelve disciples. When he made his confession that Jesus was the Messiah, Jesus changed his name to Kephas, which is Aramaic for rock, which was later translated into Greek as Petros, or Peter. Jesus promised that he would become a leader among the apostles to guide the Messianic community in Jerusalem through its earliest years. And that's what happened. Remember the early chapters of the book of Acts. Eventually, Peter was called to carry the good news of Jesus beyond the borders of Israel, however, and this letter was written decades into that mission in the wider Roman world. We discover at the conclusion of this letter that Peter is in Rome, which he calls Babylon, and we learned that while Peter commissioned the letter, it was actually composed by a man named Silvanus, who was a co-worker of Peter. This was a circular letter sent to multiple church communities in the Roman province of Asia Minor, which is in modern-day Turkey. And Peter learned that these mostly non-Jewish Christians were persecuted. They were facing hostility and harassment from their Greek and Roman neighbors. And so Peter wrote to encourage them in the midst of their suffering. And this helps explain the letter's design and its main themes. It opens with a greeting, and then it moves into a poetic song of praise to God, which introduces the key themes that are explored in the main body of the letter, where he first affirms the new family identity of these persecuted Christians, which will help them see their suffering as a way to bear witness to Jesus. And this has a way of focusing their future hopes on the return of Jesus. Let's dive in. You'll just see how all the pieces work together. So Peter opens by greeting these churches as the chosen people of God who are exiled around the world. Now, Peter makes clear throughout the letter that these Christians he's writing to are Gentiles. But here he describes them with phrases from the Old Testament that describe how God chose the people of Israel, the family of Abraham, who was himself an exile and wanderer. This is a key strategy that Peter repeats through the whole letter. He wants these suffering non-Jewish Christians to see that through Jesus, they now belong to the family of Abraham. And so they're wandering exiles just like him, misunderstood, they're mistreated, and they're looking for their true home in the promised land. Peter continues this idea in the opening song. He praises God for causing people to be born again into a living hope through Jesus' resurrection and the power of the Spirit. God's inviting all people into a new family centered around Jesus, a family that has a new identity as God's beloved children and who have a new hope of a world reborn by God's love when Jesus returns as King. And for people who have this hope, suffering and persecution is actually a strange gift because it burns away false hopes and distractions like a purifying fire, and it reminds us of our true home and hope. And so paradoxically, life's hardships actually deepen our faith. They make it more genuine. From here, Peter's going to move on into the body of the letter, but he's going to explore all of these ideas in greater depth. So he first develops the theme about the new family identity of God's people. He takes even more memorable Old Testament images about the family of Israel, and then he applies them to these Gentile Christians. So like the Israelites who left Egypt, they too are to gird up their loins and leave behind their former way of life on the way to a new future. So they are the holy people of God now who are journeying through the wilderness. They are the people of the new Exodus who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, who's the 
ultimate Passover lamb. They are the people of the new covenant who have God's word buried deep inside them, restoring their hearts and renewing their minds. They are the new temple built on the foundation of Jesus himself. And they're the new kingdom of priests who are serving God as his representatives to the nations. Now, by applying all of these amazing images to these persecuted Gentile Christians, Peter is placing their suffering within a brand new story. And this leads into the next section. Their persecution can actually help bring clarity to their mission in the world, to bear witness to God's mercy among the nations. So Peter first encourages them to submit to Roman rule, even if it's oppressive. Yes, he acknowledges their persecution, their suffering is unjust. But violent resistance solves nothing, not to mention that it betrays the teachings of Jesus who loved his enemies instead of killing them. Peter then specifically highlights the very difficult situation that Christian slaves and wives faced when they lived in Roman households where the patriarch did not follow Jesus. The problem was that it was expected that everyone in the household would submit to and worship the patriarch's gods. And so Peter's aware that giving allegiance to Jesus will generate suspicion. So Peter says, it's true. All Christians, including Roman wives and slaves, have been fully liberated by Jesus. But they are to demonstrate that freedom, not through rebellion, but by resisting evil the same way Jesus did, through showing love and generosity to your enemies. And in homes where the husband is also a Christian, it's a different story. They are to treat their wives totally different from their Roman neighbors, regarding them as equals before God who are worthy of honor and respect. And Peter's hopeful that this imitation of Jesus' love and upside-down kingdom will give power to their words as they bear witness to God's mercy and show people the beautiful truth about the way of Jesus. But Peter's also a realist. He knows that Christians will continue to be persecuted, and so he reminds them of their future vindication. He recalls how Jesus himself was unfairly persecuted and murdered by corrupt human powers, but in reality, he was dying for the sins of his enemies. And afterward, he was vindicated and given resurrection life by the Spirit. And now Jesus is exalted as king over all human and spiritual powers. Then Peter shows how baptism points to the vindication of Jesus' followers. So like Noah, they've been saved through the waters, not as a magic ritual, but as a sacred symbol that shows their change of heart, their desire to be joined to Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And so now, even if they are murdered for following Jesus, their hope is in future vindication and exaltation alongside their king. Which leads Peter into the final movement. He recalls Jesus' words that his disciples should consider it an honor and joy to be persecuted just like he was. Peter then calls on church leaders to care for these suffering Christians and to show the same kind of servant leadership that Jesus did to his followers. And finally, Peter reminds these Christians about the real enemy that they are facing. This hostility isn't simply cultural or even political. There are dark forces of spiritual evil at work inspiring hatred and violence. And they are to resist this evil by staying faithful to Jesus and his teachings and by anticipating his return and ultimate victory over such evil. Peter concludes with a prayer for divine strength, and he sends a greeting from the church in Rome, which he calls Babylon. Now, this is cool. Peter's adopting here the tradition of the Old Testament prophets, for whom the name Babylon became an archetype for any and every corrupt nation. And so Rome has become the new Babylon, and its empire is where God's people are now exiled from their true home in the renewed creation. 
Peter's first letter is a powerful reminder of Christian hope in the midst of suffering. God's people have been a misunderstood minority from the very beginning, and they should expect to face hostility because they've chosen to live under the rule of a different king, Jesus. However, persecution can become a strange gift to the church because it offers a chance to show others the surprising generosity and love of Jesus, which is fueled by the hope of his return. And that's what First Peter is all about. I hope that was helpful, right? We, we believe that all scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for us. It's useful for us. But as a leadership team, we feel like this is a book that's going to specifically speak to us as a congregation in the coming weeks and months. You can sense already from that overview that there's themes here that do. And as we approach the reading, I want to just underscore these three things that you want to have your ears and eyes open for as we hear the word of the Lord. Three themes that Peter causes to saturate and run through this letter of hope and suffering. Uh, the first of these is that our lives are lived with God. Sometimes we can feel like, oh, time to shift. I'm switching over to this one because I can't talk without my hands. <laughs> and, and so, so often we can feel like, my life is over here and somehow God's here. I mean, I know God's real and he's out there and I believe in him, but the amount of connection that God has with my life is minimal at best. Or if we're somehow really spiritual, they may bump up against each other somewhat. But as you read First Peter, you find that as far as he's concerned, life and God are inseparable for us as Christians. So have your eyes open for that. Uh, another one is that in our relationship with the world and how we live in this world and in our society, our society that is not based on following Jesus, we are signposts. We are examples. And he's focused on our witness in the world, even when it seems like the world's going the opposite direction of God itself. And thirdly, he keeps pointing the believers then and us today to a coming glory. That there, that suffering and trouble that we experience now, it is the prelude for a glory that is guaranteed to be on its way. And so I'd like to invite up our, our readers. We've got a good team of folks who are going to be helping us go through this. And I want to also give us a couple tips for hearing as we go through this reading. Um, it's easy for our minds to wander. And I want to invite us, I want to urge us to make the most of this time and opportunity by being active listeners. And by that, I mean, listen with your eyes as well as with your ears. We're going to have the same words on the screen that these guys are reading. Use your eyes, engage and follow along. And as you listen, try to follow, in a sense, follow the plot of what Peter's saying. Watch where he's going and see that it really does all hang together. Lord, we ask that you'd help us. God, as we go through your word, let your word sink in and take root in our hearts, God, and bear good fruit. Lord, we open our minds, we open our hearts to hear from you today in Jesus' name. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit 
to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though refined by fire, might result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Um, concerning the salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life, handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect." He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have been purified yourselves by opening, by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. For all people are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into spiritual, into a spiritual house to be, holy, to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. 
But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sakes to every human authority, whether to the emperor as a supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourselves to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that, if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives, and treat them with respect as the weaker partner, and, it, and as heirs with you of the gracious gift of life, so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil and their lips from deceitful speech. They must turn from evil and do good. 
They must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to, the, to give the reason for hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. For it is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. After being made alive, he went and made proclamation to the imprisoned spirits, to those who were disobedient long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through the water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right, at God's right hand, with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for, e for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their, rec <clears throat> in their reckless, wild living. And they, <clears throat> and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to, the human, to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers, <clears throat> covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you are insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed, for the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. However, if you suffer as a Christian, do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear that name. 
for it is time for judgment to begin with God's household. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome be for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if it is hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? So then, those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him, because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know what that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And this is how the church in that time would have received the letter. A letter would arrive, usually brought by messengers, and then it would be read out loud to the gathered church like this. And then in the coming weeks, as they meet time after time, leaders within the church would start to unpack different themes from the letter that is that they've received from the apostle. And that's what we're going to do in the coming weeks. You know, as, as we go on this week, first, let these words sink into your heart. Don't rely on just the Sunday morning reading to saturate everything in your heart for the week. Read your own way through First Peter this week. Take some time. Read a chapter a day. Sit down. Take a half hour. Read the whole thing through. You'll notice it took us 15 minutes to read the whole thing out loud. Do family readings. Find ways to repeatedly let this saturate your heart some. And then in the coming weeks, we'll be looking more section by section, verse by verse, into what does this mean for us in 2020? What does it mean for us in Northwest Indiana? How do we live in these themes? Because part of what we're asking the Lord to help us with is how to have a revelation that lets us live in the paradoxes that we have. Christ's absolute victory. His death and resurrection has changed everything. And yet it seems like a lot hasn't changed at all. And how do we live in this 
middle that we don't expect to be there that Peter talks about with suffering and difficulty and hardship. And he tells us this, live your life with God and live it in reverent hope of the glory that's coming. So these three things are, are going to stick with us, that we are living in the presence of the risen Jesus Christ through his spirit. Live life with God and take time to be conscious of God's presence. In your life, in the world, let your light shine. Don't be surprised, uh, Peter says, by the fiery ordeal. Don't be surprised that there's difficulty in the world, but be conscious that your life is pointing somewhere. And with Christ in you, his intent is that it's pointing towards himself. And set your hope firmly on the glory to be revealed when Christ returns. This coming glory, it's secure. Jesus has settled that through his resurrection. He is coming again. And even where it seems like we're losing more than we're gaining in life, he himself is our victory. And he is the glory that we hope for. Uh, Brooke is going to lead us in communion. I think the worship team is coming up. And as we do, I'd just like to invite us to pray together. Lord, we thank you that you are speaking. God, that your word of life really does adjust. It not only nourishes us, but it prunes us, Lord. And so, God, I pray that your word would take effect in us as we've heard it this morning, God, and that you would bring to mind, God, that you would prompt by your Holy Spirit the things that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.